This is Live La Bella Vita with your host, Don Catherine. If you're looking to know all the latest beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. Do you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense? This is your show. It's Live La Bella Vita on Toginet with Don Catherine. If you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes from the vine to the bottle, if you love Italian food and want to learn Nana's recipes, you enjoy travel and want to know the best luxury destinations and resorts, love spending time with La Familia, does your business or passion allow you to live La Bella Vita? Let's find out. All that and a little more with an Italian flair. This is Live La Bella Vita on Togina.com. And now, here's your host, Don Catherine. Benvenuto, and welcome to the La Bella Vita show. I'm Don Catherine, your hostess, and I hope that you have poured yourself a glass of wine and are ready for another great La Bella Vita show tonight. For those of you who are listening live, thank you for joining us, and for those of you who are joining us live and might not have time to catch the whole show tonight because it's a little late on the East Coast, do you know that you can go to the Toginet homepage and download the podcast or go to iTunes and you can uh, put in a nice little search for La Bella Vida or my name, Dawn Catherine, and do a search and you can go down to where the podcasts are. You'll see La Bella Vita and you can subscribe for free so you can listen to the podcast at any time. And as I always say, all my shows are must must listen to, so you have to you have to do it. So just go out there, download it. But I'm so excited that you are all here tonight, and we are going to have an absolutely fantastic show because I have a really special guest, my hometown Cranston girl, uh, Tina Cassidy, who's a writer and author of two books. Um, the one that she just finished up with was Jackie After O, and also she penned Birth, The Surprising History of How We Are Born, which I'm going to talk to her a little bit about that as well. Um, but uh, she talks, you know, all about Jackie Kennedy Onassis, and we're going to get into that because I love me some Jackie O. She was such a woman of style and grace and elegance. She is the epitome of what Living La Bella Vida is all about, so I'm really excited to talk about that and talk with Tina in depth about that. So Tina and I, we grew up in the same city. We went to the same high school, Cranston West. She was a year younger than me, but uh, I graduated, well, I guess I shouldn't say it, but everybody knows how old I am. 86, she graduated in 85, so it's kind of exciting because I haven't talked to her. You graduated in 87? 87, yeah. Oh, okay, 87. I graduated in 86. You graduated in 87. True enough. Sorry about Sorry about that. So, yeah, I'm trying to make myself. <laughs> I'm trying to make myself younger. It's really what it's coming to. You blew my cover, Tina. Come on now. But uh, anyway, so I haven't seen her since high school, so it's been like 20-something years. So um, I'm glad that we have her on the show. So um, she's going to be talking with us in a few minutes, and uh, we're going to have her come and talk about her books. Um, but so anyways, I'm going to tell you what's going on. I know that I was off last week. You probably missed me, but I had laryngitis, so I couldn't do my show, but I'm feeling a lot better. I think it was just an allergy thing, but you know, it wasn't very fun. And, uh, last night I didn't sleep at all. So I'm a little bit tired tonight, but, uh, it's okay. But you know, I talk about how I have insomnia sometimes <laughs> and last night was no you know, exception to the rule. And, of course, just as I was about to get tired and 
settling down and saying, okay, I think I can sleep. I swear to you, a spider the size of a small child ran across my wall right next to my bed where I was sleeping and into my closet. So therefore, Dawn was not having any sleep because my happy butt was not going to be asleep with that big-ass spider moving around my house. So I stayed up and drank lots of Dunkin' Donuts coffee and uh, went through my day. But I'm starting to get a little, you know, slap happy now. But uh, anyway, so as you know, I'm in Orlando, Florida right now with my lovely tropical storm that we just went through, Tropical Storm Debbie. I thought I was going to need to, like, build an ark because we had so much damn rain. And, uh, And it was supposed to last the whole weekend, but she came and went, and now we're supposed to have, like, this really record heating... Um, record heat this weekend. It's supposed to go up to like 100 degrees. The heat, heat index is supposed to be like 105. It's going to be crazy. But I don't think that we can complain because we have our poor friends out in Colorado who are dealing with some horrific fires out there. There's 35,000 evacuees who have been evacuated from their homes. And, you know, so we're just praying for them and hoping for the best and really, um, Anybody, you know, hoping that nobody else has to leave their home and that everybody can stay safe, safe and sound and, you know, not, no, there's going to be no further damage than what's happened because it's such a beautiful area of the country. It's so, so sad that uh, they're going through that. Um, so what else is going on? So I just wanted to say best wishes to Alex Trebek in his recovery from a mild heart attack. I wish him well because I love me some Jeopardy, and um, I, I, I'm praying for his recovery. It says that uh, in some of the articles that are out there that he's doing well, and so I wish him best wishes in his recovery, and I'm sure all of you do too. And I, it would be remiss if I didn't mention the passing of a brilliant woman, Nora Ephron, uh, writer-director. Uh, she'll be just so missed. She was just so brilliant. And one of my favorite m- movies of all time was when Harry met Sally and uh, loved that movie. And Silkwood was uh, came out at a time when I was like kind of like a teenager, but I think I was like kind of in that 14, 15 range. It was like kind of an adult-themed movie, and I actually got it even though I was a teenager. So that was kind of a crazy thing, but that goes just to show what a testament of what great writing she had because she was able to capture this little teenager and appreciate the film and what it was all about. So rest in peace. You are so, so missed already. So um, my boy Johnny Depp, you know, I love me some Johnny Depp. And uh, he's breaking up with his longtime girlfriend, Vanessa Pratis, of 14 years. They were together. They have two children together, but they have called it quits. Uh, apparently, he supposedly has moved on, which upsets me a little bit because I haven't gotten the phone call yet. But uh, I have to say that I think that now is the time that Johnny can take me to his new palazzo in Venice, and we can have a date, and then you know, have a fabulous time going up and down the canals of Venice. I think it's a brilliant idea. So, Johnny, call me. And then, you know, after I get a little bit bored with him, I can hop in a Ferrari and go up to Lake Como and spend time with my longtime love, George Clooney. She's have it all planned out. It's a brilliant idea. I'm telling you, it's brilliant. So, anyway, that's really that's all that's going on in the world, I pretty much think. Um, so, my incantatos, what has me spellbound this week? You know that I do this every week. My style icon, 
of the week is Blake Lively. She was at the Savages premiere, which is a new movie, I believe, coming out this Friday. And she just looked divine in this old Hollywood glam striped corset, Zerhart Murad gown. Just looking fabulous. She had the whole kind of loose kind of 40s wave Hollywood glam going on. Beautiful. She looked stunning. Loved it, loved it, loved it. And uh, my wine pick this week is Castello di Neve Santo Stefano Reserva Barbas. Babaresco. It's a 2006. It's from the Piedmont, Italy region, and it is a great wine. It will be um, ready to drink in 2013, so you are going to have to wait just a little bit before you can go ahead and uh, take a look at that and drink it up. But uh, it's a beautiful nose of dried fruit, crushed red berries, rose hip, cherry liqueur, sweet vanilla with spices, fresh orange peel, and it's just divine. So I really think that you will enjoy this wine. And uh, again, 2013 is when it's at its peak. As you know, you can drink wine even if they say that, you know, you shouldn't drink it until 2013. You can certainly consume it, but obviously they're saying it will be at its optimum best in 2013. And uh, so that's my wine pick of the week. So I will put that information up on the website so that you have that information so you can go and check it out for yourself. And um, I have to tell you, my buffoon of the week, and I hate being so political on this show, but uh, actually kind of have two buffoons of the week. My first one is Rielle Hunter. I think that her writing the book, and it's kind of funny because we're talking to an author tonight, but I think her writing the book is just so distasteful, and I hope that no one buys it and supports her in this whole situation. Um, but my second buffoon of the week would have to go to uh, Jerry Sandusky, who, as we all know, uh, was just convicted on 45 of 48 counts of child sexual abuse. And from what has been said, his own child, his adopted son, was set to testify against him. And he is now in prison on suicide watch. And apparently, even though his own lawyers said that they knew it was an uphill battle, that they wanted to quit the case because they didn't think they ever had a chance to win it, has decided that he wants to appeal his conviction. And I just think that there's such overwhelming evidence that was presented in the court case and the fact that there's more evidence coming in. I think that the fact that he wants to have another trial is just in such poor taste because it just means that the taxpayers are going to be paying more money for a trial when, you know, pretty much everybody can see what the truth is. And I just really think that it's really a tragedy in so many levels. And, you know, I really, truly believe that there are a lot more people that were complicit in this happening, uh, from Penn State to uh, obviously some of the other coaching staff that turned a blind eye. And I think that there are a lot more people that have uh, been complicit in this and deserve to be brought to justice and punished in some way. So that's my opinion. You might not agree with me, although I do believe that most people do, but you may not. Who knows? 
Um, but uh, so he's my buffoon of the week, and so isn't Real Hunter. And uh, maybe I'll ask uh, Tina what she thinks about that when we come back on the other side of the break. But if you have anything to say, you can give us a call here at the station at one eight seven seven eight six four four eight six nine. When we come back, Tina Cassidy, our author of Jackie After O, will be joining us. We'll see you on the other side. This is Don Catherine in the La Bella Vida Show. La Bella Vita. Stay with us to learn more about the latest beauty tricks of the trade and latest fashion trends before anybody else. We'll be back with more Live La Bella Vita right after these on Toginet.com. to get your woohoo on from business and branding to babies best-selling books and personal breakthroughs then it's time to tune in to woohoo radio love life business and the pursuit of happiness with your host lisa stedman wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m central on toginet.com using her signature blend of inspiration motivation and kick butt action best-selling author and chief woohoo woman lisa stedman wants to help you discover the woohoo that only you can do lisa will show you how to create your signature woohoo way of love life business and the pursuit of happiness without losing yourself. If you're tired of a one-size-fits-all approach to career, relationships, and personal growth, get your weekly woohoo on with Lisa and her rock star guests as they reveal their personal stories of bouncing back from boohoo of rock bottom into the woohoo of love, life, business, and the pursuit of happiness. Check out her website, lisastedman.com. Join us for Woohoo Radio, love, life, business, and the pursuit of happiness. Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Every day on and Miracles with Shannon Pinrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Pinrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpinrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. And from thence, I had great desire to see Italy and came to Venice and from thence to Florence where I played before the Duke and got great favors. If it's good enough for Sting, it's good enough for us. This is Live La Bella Vita on Toginet. If you love Italian food, you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, you love travel and luxury destinations and resorts, this is your show. It's Live La Bella Vita, all with an Italian flair. Now, let's get back to the show on Toginet. It's Live La Bella Vita, and here again is your host, Don Catherine. 
And welcome back. This is Dawn Catherine. This is La Bella Vita Show, and I have a very special guest tonight. I have Tina Cassidy with us tonight, and she is an author of two books. And um, her and I grew up together in Cranston, Rhode Island, and she, you know, went out there and did some big things. So, Tina, welcome to the show, and I would love for you to kind of tell my audience a little bit about your experience and what brought you to decide that you wanted to be an author and pen some books. Uh, sure. I um, I actually started out as a journalist and did that for many years. I was a reporter and editor, um, mostly in the Boston area, and I wrote about all kinds of things, including politics and sports and business and fashion, um, and enjoyed that very much. But I really went into journalism because I wanted to be a writer. And <laughs> as my father said uh, one day while I was in high school, well, that's great if you want to be a writer, but you need to get a job. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> so journalism was the job, and then, um, and then, you know, when I finally had an idea and uh, and the ability uh, to write a book, um, which happened uh, for the first time in two thousand and six, um, I left uh, journalism as wow. a full time job. So I still write for various publications, but um, I've just finished my second book now, and um, I really enjoy it. That's great. That's really great. So you were somebody who really knew what she wanted to do in her life and set out and you did it. That's, that's really a very admirable that uh, you accomplished your dream because a lot of people say, oh, I want to be a writer. You know, they even though you were, did the journalism part, everybody says, mm-hmm. oh, I want to write a book and I want to do this and sure. they never do it. So it's great that you actually took the time and put yourself out there and, um, and decided to write the book. So you have just written this book, um, Jackie After O, and uh, this book is about Jackie's life in 1975. Why did you choose that time in her life to, to, to write about? Yeah, so this book really is about Jackie's midlife crisis, and it all happens within a 12-month time period in 1975. Um, you know, I was interested in her in her life as a working woman, um, not so much as her life as a jet setter and her life as Jackie Kennedy. I think that was territory that that's already been pretty well covered. Um, you know, but being of a different generation, it was interesting to me to try to explore why a woman who had more money than you know, most people would ever need um, would just wake up one day and decide to go to work and get a job. She didn't that she didn't need um, right. for the for the money anyway. She did need it for other reasons, and and that's sort of what I explore in the book. Um, but everything happens in 1975. That is the year when Aristotle Onassis dies. So Jackie becomes a widow again uh, for the second time at only. 45 years old. Uh, she's facing the empty nest syndrome as Caroline graduates from high school and leaves for London later in the fall. And um, she also becomes an activist to save Grand Central Station in a very famous case that goes all the way to the Supreme Court. Um, and uh, and she becomes a book editor. So it truly is the year that sets the stage for the last 20 years of her life and uh, sets her apart as, um, you know, a a single woman. Um, She never marries again. Um, You know, a woman facing midlife, a woman really trying to figure out who she was outside of being a wife and a mother. Um, And I think that's uh, an experience that you know, many people go through throughout their lives, whether you're a man or a woman, you know, reach a certain age and you think, okay, well, who am I? What have I accomplished? Am I truly happy? Um, 
and I think, you know, just generally today with people even living longer that they, um, we have more opportunities now to have a second or a third act in our lives. You know, you can have multiple careers or, um, you know, different lives. You can chuck it all and, and move to Africa to try to save the world, you know? So I, I think that these were the sort of the themes that I was, um, hoping to get some wisdom on, um, through my research and writing. Yeah. It is, you know, and you point that out, like you, you, you did obviously hone in on this one specific time in her life, but now that listening to you and I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, you know, she really did have these very distinct errors in her life that were so truly different from each other, you know, from her upbringing to her time as a Kennedy and being the first lady to being a widow of very, you know, with very young children and, um, you know, and being part of that Kennedy clan, as we know, is uh, its own thing amongst itself. And, and then, you know, yeah, and then she, then she remarried and, and then he died and then, you know, you know, and then she had that whole other part of her life where she went to work, and so she really did have this compartmentalized life, and it's just yes. very fascinating. She's a very fascinating woman, and I know for you and I, growing up in the Northeast, we were very exposed to the Kennedy clan. I mean, we lived, you know, a stone throw away from Cape Cod, where they lived, you know, they had in Hyannisport, where they had one of their houses. I know they probably, at some point, when we were in school, um, we went to Hammersmith Farm and visited their summer home mm-hmm. and uh, went to the, you know, St. Mary's Church where they were married. So it's kind of, for us, at least, you know, it was me, it was always ingrained in my awareness about the Kennedys and especially her. I just thought she was just one of the most beautiful women that has ever walked the earth. Yeah. Just so she- classic, beautiful. Absolutely. She was, she was beautiful and she obviously had amazing taste in clothing and real estate and design and architecture. Um, but one of the other things that, um, really surprised me through my research was learning just how incredibly smart she was. Um, and it's a theme that, um, you know, sort of runs through the book. Uh, she read Gone with the Wind several times before she was 10 years old. She was reading Chekhov as a child, uh, not even as a teenager. She wrote incredible poetry as a little girl. She was actually a talented sketch artist and painter. Um, and a voracious reader and incredibly smart about history. She spoke um, French, obviously, and Spanish. And, uh, you know, she was just a, she was just a really uh, an incredibly intelligent woman and I think always suffered a little bit um, up until 1975 from the fact that she couldn't apply her intelligence in a way that most working women can. Um, you know, obviously it was a different time and era. Um, she wanted to do what her peers were doing at the time, which was to get married um, right out of college. Many women were actually dropping out of college to get married. Um, in the in the 50s um and 60s and so you know she followed that path and i don't i don't think she regretted it but i think that she was always somehow frustrated um and you see this come out in her life you know her uh, restoration of the white house was meticulous it was really a museum quality um historic restoration project it wasn't just about picking nice drapery fabrics and pretty wall colors. Um, she did an incredible amount of historic research and wanted to get it right. Um, and you see this uh, come up again in 1975 where, you know, she's 
terribly depressed um, about being a widow again and sort of flailing at the prospect of being an empty nester and uh, knows that she's smart but yet has no outlet for for her smarts. Um, so I think it's not really surprising that she ends up choosing uh, the publishing industry as a career uh, because she loved books so much and she I, th I think she always wanted to be a writer. Um, she one of her first jobs ever was uh, she had an internship at Vogue and really yep and uh, it was very short-lived she won a writing contest uh, that her mother recommended she apply for and of course she won out of a huge you know stack of contestants and uh, she went and she got there and she thought it was I think she thought it was a little too vapid for her and I think she also realized that she wasn't gonna find any straight men <laughs> in the office <laughs> so um, so she she made up an excuse that she had to move back to Washington so she she quit that internship before it had run its course um, but her first real job out of um, uh, out of college was a newspaper columnist and photographer in Washington, and she was very successful at that. She had a, a popular column um, called the Inquiring Camera Girl, and uh, you know covered things like the coronation of Queen Elizabeth and had front page reports come back on that and so forth. So, you know, she, but she quit that job the day JFK proposed and never worked again until 1975. Um, never worked for money, of course. So, you know, I feel like she had all of this um, pent up uh, uh, cultural interest and writing interest and um, interest in books and so forth. So, um, you know, she was really uh, eager to, to put herself um, to use and to preoccupy herself, really. And I, 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 I have known, was, have been told that she was quite very politically astute. Do you think, you know, was that something that you found through your research was that true to, that she really was yes savvy, and they say? She, she was incredibly savvy politically of course she had learned from the best from the Kennedy family and I think soaked, soaked up so much you know she was um, uh, part of the uh, his campaign for Senate and part of the presidential campaign of course and had her first campaign uh, re-election campaign um, trip that she was going on was Dallas, uh, where he was assassinated. Um, but her political skills come into play in 1975 when she takes up the battle to save Grand Central Station from, uh, essentially from redevelopment ruin. Um, and she knows exactly uh, who the influencers are she should target. Um, she wrote a letter to uh, mayor Beam, um, he was the mayor of New York at the time, and he was uh, not willing to uh, stand up and fight for Grand Central because he thought it would be a very expensive thing to fight the railroad about this. Um, but she wrote him a uh, an amazing letter, um, and and basically uh, plied him with. Um, you know, all kinds of uh, <laughs> sweet words and, and um, accolades and so forth. And, of course, he caved and came around to her thinking and uh, stood up and, and, and fought the railroad. Um, yeah, she was also expert an expert at public relations. You know, she really knew when to call a press conference and what to say. And she okay, we're going to go to break. We're, we're going to go to break and we'll pick up when we come on the other side. Sure. This 
is Live La Bella Vita. Stay with us to learn more about the latest beauty tricks of the trade and latest fashion trends before anybody else. We'll be back with more Live La Bella Vita right after these on toginet.com. Lori Hurley, the social networking navigator, helps you overcome your overwhelm online and make social media easy. Every week, she shares the latest and greatest about social networking and welcomes industry experts and end users of different social media platforms to share their experiences moving their business forward online. Whether you are a Facebook fanatic or a lover of LinkedIn, Lori has you covered on all angles of social media including twitter youtube blogging google plus and more lori shares her knowledge and love of educating others on all things social media with relevant material engaging guests and hot tips and techniques to help you soar down the social media highway join her every wednesday at 4 p.m central standard time for the social networking news hour here on the woohoo radio network The Mary Beth Wells Hour is a talk radio show where we reach out, reach deep, and talk about topics of substance. We'll cover points of interest, such as World War II and the Holocaust, the Vietnam War, the planets and the oceans, skydiving, rock climbing, and much, much more. Join me every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time as we delve into and discuss fascinating subjects. It's a program to pique your interest for sure. Come bella gialla luna, brilla strette, strette come butto belle faste già. If you love Italian food, you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, you love travel and luxury destinations and resorts, this is your show. All with an Italian flair. It's Live La Bella Vita. Now, let's get back to the show on Toginet. And here again is your host, Don Catherine. Welcome back. This is Don Catherine. This is La Bella Vita show. And we have a very special guest. Tina Cassie is with us tonight, and she is talking about her book, Jackie After O. And just before we went to break, she was kind of talking to us about um, how Jackie took on this fight to save Grand Central uh, Terminal, and that she you know she kind of knew the people that she needed to uh, that done and get that worked on. So for those of those out there who might know not know what the outcome was, can you just kind of give us a wrap up of how that all turned out with her yeah, influence? Absolutely. She spearheaded a massive public relations campaign that went on for a couple of years um, where she, you know, accused uh, the railroad of trying to take a bite out of the Big Apple and said that, it, you know, you can't, that the Grand Central deserved to be a landmark and that it would be, um, you know, horrible if, if this um, terminal, which will be 100 years old next year, uh, was torn down. Um, and they thought it was a really... Uh, um, truth threat because Penn's, uh, Pennsylvania Station had been torn down um, the previous decade and, you know, it was replaced by 
what is now the gross Penn Station beneath Madison Square Garden. <laughs> and it used yeah. to be a beautiful Beaux-Arts building. Um, and so, you know, Grand Central is an amazing um, example of Beaux-Arts architecture, um, one of the finest um, in the world. And, uh, you know, Jackie had a soft spot for, um, for historic buildings, I think probably in part because she grew up in the Northeast. She, had, she lived in a historic home, Hammersmith Farm. She also lived for a time at 740 Park Avenue in New York City, which is a building that her grandfather designed. It's one of the most exclusive co-op buildings in New York. Um, you know, she obviously lived in the White House. So she really cared about old buildings and what they say about our culture. And, um, you know, they're, they're part of our history. She did not want to see it torn down. Um, the long story short is that, of course, people paid attention to what Jackie was saying. And uh, the case went all the way to the Supreme Court. And Jackie was, as I said, a mastermind at public relations. And she organized a train trip. Um, they called it the Landmark Express. And uh, people from New York, they sold tickets as a fundraiser. And all these people from New York um, took the train uh, down to D.C. right at the time when the Supreme Court was deciding what to do with the case. And, of course, not, not surprisingly, they um, agreed with Jackie and Grand Central uh, was saved and it's one of the most cited um, Supreme Court cases uh, on, on the issue of uh, landmarking today that's great that's amazing so I guess that every time we go through there we have to thank Jackie O for that <laughs> so that's absolutely I think that's amazing so I, I think I'll have more of appreciation when I go through there now mm-hmm. and really so that's great. So the one thing I want, I just want to clarify about Hammersmith Farm, because as kids, I know that you and I both went there on probably many occasions to go visit it. Yeah. Um, that, that, was, that was owned by her family, but they vacationed there after they were married, did they not? Yes. Yeah, so uh, that was that was um, Jackie's stepfather, uh, Hugh D. Alvincloss. They She called him Hugh, Uncle Hughie. Um, uh, Hughie married um, Jackie's mother, Janet, and uh, then they had a couple of other kids in addition to um, uh, Jackie and Lee. Um, and so they moved in there when Jackie was a teenager and um, it became um, really uh, a house that, as you mentioned, that Jackie and Jack went to, it was sort of like their summer retreat um, uh, during the White House years, um, as they were uh, building their own home in the Washington suburbs. Um, they were renting a place in Virginia, and then they were building a place in, in Virginia, and um, just as it was finished, he, he was killed. So I think they spent one or two weekends in their own home. Um, but oh. yes, Hammersmith Farm was sort of the summer White House for the Kennedys. That's what I thought. I just wanted to make sure that I didn't miss it. And I was like, no, I swear to God, that's what it was. And then I was like, I hope I'm not confused about that. No, but, no you, you okay. have it right. And it's uh, it like, is no... It's no longer in their family. It is now, um, and it's no longer even open to the public. Um, it's owned by, uh, you know, a Wall Street executive, and it's now a private home. <laughs> okay. As all the mansions in Newport are now, That's nobody right. can afford them. But, yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm really happy that we had the opportunity to see that house as a kid because it is such a beautiful property, and it, it is quite sad that it is closed. I mean, it does have historic value, so who knows, maybe one day, Maybe with the Wall, Wall Street's going, who knows? He might not be able to afford it anymore. So, True. Um, yeah. So maybe, hopefully, at some point, the historic the, uh, Rhode Island Newport Historical Association Preservation Society will be able to buy that house back because I definitely think it's something that should be 
a, you know, a historic home, mm-hmm. in my opinion. But maybe I'm just biased because I'm from that area. <laughs> I don't no, know. I, I agree. I think it's being well taken care of at the moment. And, um, yeah, who knows what will happen. Yeah. So when I went to, well, we went to break, we were chatting in between, and I, I asked you how long did it take you to do the research for this book and uh you know you said it did take a while so and you know you obviously had to interview people that knew her so what was that experience like to really be able to interview these people and really get to know the true essence of her because it's something when people just do like these tell-all books and they don't talk to one person they just decide to write whatever it is that they want to write as opposed to you really doing this research and being able to find out her true essence from these people who truly knew her yeah i there were there were four interviews in particular that were incredibly helpful to me one was with jason epstein who was uh an editor at random house who turned jackie down for a job when she went asking uh to be an editor um, you know, I had an, an amazing interview with him in his apartment in, in Soho, and he was, uh, he's still beside himself today that he turned her down. Like he was just saying, what was I thinking? Um, but bas- basically, he was thinking that there were other people in line for this editing job, and how could he just let Jackie cut the line? She didn't know what she was doing, really. She had never, she had no experience. Um, and, uh, and so he wouldn't let her into the club. Um, the other, another um, really key interview for me was with um, Tom Ginsburg, who was the owner of Viking Press, who eventually did hire her. Um, her stint at Viking ended uh, a couple years later badly um, over a book that Viking was publishing about. Uh, it was a novel about Ted Kennedy's assassination. Um, and uh, so Jackie quit over that. And Tom Ginsburg, when I interviewed him, he was, he was in his 80s. He's old and had had a stroke and, you know, he's sort of doddering around on his cane and practically in tears recounting the story of how it all went down. And I think he admired her very much. And it was the biggest regret of his life that that her job there ended the way it did. Um, Tish Baldridge, who was Jackie's uh, White House social secretary, um, uh, was, is an amazing person. She That was a really uh, – I spoke to her many times, but uh, she, she has this high-pitched – Julia Child voice, and um, she was just very fun to talk to. Had a, everyone seemed to recount exactly what they were wearing and eating during these uh, important conversations <laughs> with Jackie. You know, that's hilarious. <laughs> How could you not? Because she was impeccably dressed at every moment of her life. She never she, looked unkept ever. That's right. She sure was. Yeah, Jason Epstein was saying, oh, and she had this lovely shade of pink, and it was her best color. And Tish was saying, you know, when she walked into the Tilgrave Club in Washington for our lunch, um, you know, she was just, she had this scarf on, and she looked amazing, as always, but uh, her voice was drooping, and she looked incredibly sad. And so Tish essentially, um, you know, talked about how she encouraged Jackie to get a job. You know, she said, buck up you got a you have a brain you've hidden it under a bushel you have to get on with it um so that was uh, incredibly important um for the book as well and then um the other really key interview for me was with um Jackie's assistant at Viking 
um, a woman named Becky Singleton who um, <clears throat> was very young. She was in her early 20s. It was her first real job um, in publishing. And, you know, all of a sudden Tom Ginsburg came up to her and said, hey, you're going to have a new boss. And Becky said, well, who is that? What do you mean? Jackie O. Um, so Becky was great uh, in, and really provided me with many inside details about what it was like, you know, working with Jackie. They would... Um, sign each other's papers just for fun so that people who thought they were getting Jackie's signature actually weren't. Um, you know, things like that. Jackie making coffee in the office and doing her own photocopies. So Brilliant. it was That's it funny. was really fun to write. Yeah, and I, I guess it must have, for the people who worked with her, like, can you imagine saying, like, I worked with Jackie O and she's like a former first lady and just there's such an it's such an aura about her. I just think that she, there's there was always just a something about her that made her stand out. I just can't imagine. And she was such an incredibly smart, insightful woman. So I just think it must have been brilliant to be able to be surrounded by her and and to learn from her and just to converse with her. So I think that must have been fun to for you to be able to to get into that. Uh, conversations with those people so yeah so, great. yeah yeah so one thing that I, I would have to say and we're about two minutes until we go to the final break see so can you believe it it's almost over already um the one thing that what you know it definitely because I, I talk with a lot of entrepreneurs and we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to the show and i, I the one thing that i'm sensing from you is that she is definitely somebody who knew what her passions were and built her career around it, which is what every person who wants to be an entrepreneur should do, you know, find out what your passion, just like your, your passion was for writing. You became an author and a journalist. And, you know, for me, it was being in the beauty industry and having a skincare line and doing what I do um, and traveling and wine and, and putting that all together and creating a company. And it just seems like she really kind of just knew it, what it was that she loved and went after what she wanted, and she she did it. She was able to get out there. And I don't think it was so much just because of who she was. It was because she really, truly was a brilliant person. She, uh, she was. Yes, yeah, she was brilliant, and I think she knew what her passions were, but I don't think she was able to make the connection immediately between what she was good at and what her passions were and what she should do with the rest of her life. Um, right. I think she was sh shocked when Tish told her to... Um, uh, get a job and that it should probably be publishing. I this light went off in, in Jackie's mind and, um, you know, it was a great suggestion and I, Jackie embraced it immediately and she was rebuffed by Random House, but she went right back out there and kept asking for a job and eventually someone gave one to her. Um, which is not, not all that surprising, right? But, um, right, you know, but, exactly. but, but she could have hung it up after the first ask and thought, oh, this is ridiculous. You know, I'm Jackie. I'm going to go out begging for a job. I don't even need a job. Job, but she really right. did need a job, not for the money, but to help help her That's, be happy. We're going to go to break. Right. We're going to go to break. I'll pick up on the other side of the break. Okay. Besame. Besame mucho. You know? He just might. This is Live La Bella Vita. 
Stay with us to learn more about the latest beauty tricks of the trade and latest fashion trends before anybody else. We'll be back with more Live La Bella Vita right after these on Toginet.com. Bésame, bésame mucho. Are you ready to get your woohoo on? From business and branding to babies, best-selling books, and personal breakthroughs? Then it's time to tune in to Woohoo Radio. Love, life, business, and the pursuit of happiness. With your host, Lisa Stedman. Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Using her signature blend of inspiration, motivation, and kick-butt action, best-selling author and chief woohoo woman, Lisa Stedman, wants to help you discover the woohoo that only you can do. Lisa will show you how to create your signature woohoo way of love, life, business, and the pursuit of happiness without losing yourself. If you're tired of a one-size-fits-all approach to career, relationships, and personal growth, get your weekly woohoo on with Lisa and her rock star guests as they reveal their personal stories of bouncing back from boohoo of rock bottom into the woohoo of love, life, business, and the pursuit of happiness. Check out her website, lisastedman.com. Join us for Woohoo Radio, love, life, business, and the pursuit of happiness. Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. If you love Italian food, you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, you love travel and luxury destinations and resorts, this is your show. All with an Italian flair. It's Live La Bella Vita. Now, let's get back to the show on Toginet. And here again is your host, Don Catherine. And welcome back. This is Don Catherine. This is La Bella Vita Show. And we are on tonight with my special guest, Tina Cassidy. And she is the author of two books, uh, one being Jackie After O, and also... Um, she is the author of another book, which, tell me what the name of the other book that you have. It's you know? called Birth, The Surprising History of How We Are Born. Essentially, okay. it's, a, it's a look at how women have given birth around the world throughout time. Okay, and we're going to talk to you about, I'm just going to, you know, we'll talk about that just a little bit before we wrap up the show. But I just wanted to ask you if there's any final thoughts that, out of, of all the information that you gave about what you've covered in the book, and I really encourage people if this, you know, talking to Tina has piqued your curiosity about this time period in Jackie O's life to definitely go out and to get Tina's book. Uh, where can people purchase the book? Um, it's available in um, in uh, independent and um, chain store bookstores, and as well as on Amazon. It's available as an ebook and a, a printed book as well. 
Okay, awesome. Um, so that's good. So everybody needs to go out and buy a copy of the book. And um, so, I mean, you covered a wealth of information. Is there anything that you really want to tell us about her that you kind of haven't covered? Maybe just like one more nugget of inside knowledge that, or insight that you've came to from doing all of this research for this book? Yeah, I mean, it's really the big picture is that, you know, she in many ways taught us how to live and she taught us how to die. She also really teaches us how to have a midlife crisis um, in this book because she does it with grace. And, you know, she doesn't it's it's not about running out and getting plastic surgery and spending more money at Valentino, although she certainly did both of those things at at points in her life. But, um, you know, she dug deep and tried to figure out what she was passionate about and embraced it and created the third act of her life out of that um, from whole cloth so um, I think those, the, the moral of the story for all of us is that you know if you reach a point in your life where you are um, you know want to reinvent yourself go for it um, there should be nothing that, that holds you back from doing something that um, you're passionate about I think that's so great and I, that's great advice for anybody it really truly is because Anybody can start over, and I think that in this day and age, um, you know, a lot of people are going through a lot of hard times economically, and they've kind of had to reinvent themselves. People have lost their homes, they've lost their jobs, they've lost, you know, some of their life savings and whatnot, and, they, and people have kind of been forced to um, kind of reinvent themselves, and I think that she's kind of like a great role model. I mean, she she had a a rough life no matter no matter how much riches she had you know the things that things that she had to go through is just it's it's difficult to think about the pain that she had to go through enduring two uh you know seeing two of her husbands die and one so tragically and one so publicly um that's just you know i can't even imagine her going through that at, at such a young age and being able to come out on the other side um somewhat unscathed so to speak and, and, and become this amazing person. So she's a really great role model for a lot of people if you look at it that way. And mm-hmm. I think that um, I hope that people, when they read your book, they can take some of that Jackie O bark and put it inside I, and go out there. <laughs> I hope so, too. <laughs> yeah. Because I just, you know, no matter what, I think it's great, you know, to, to see the side of her. But for me, as much as she was smart, I just, you know, because I'm a style and fashion kind of girl. Yeah. <laughs> I just think of her as the epitome of classic style. I mean, I just, I look at her, you know, some of the clothing that she wore. It was just so exquisite. I mean, nobody could wear, like, long gloves better than Jackie O. And she just Absolutely. looked, she just always looked impeccable. Mm-hmm. I don't care if she was walking the city, uh, the streets of New York City in a pair of jeans and a top. She looked like better than any other person that was mm-hmm. walking on the street. It's just how she was. So anyway, so, yeah. So, all right. So before we go, because we only have a few more minutes before we're going to wrap up the show, just kind of give us a little bit of an overview about your over, uh, your other books that maybe people who are listening might want to go out and purchase that, because I think it's kind of a really cool thing to learn about the history about childbirth. I think that's uh fascinating i haven't done it yet so i i can't relate personally but i know a lot of people who can (laughs) right well you know i wrote the book um 
after having my son George um, by unexpected C-section and my husband said to the doctor you know what would have happened in this case 500 years ago so she gave him a gruesome answer and I didn't necessarily believe her so I decided that when I recovered I would go to the library and look it up um, the library happened to be the Harvard Medical School Library which has um, some of the oldest books on midwifery uh, in the Western world um, you know that you have to they bring out in a silver platter and you have to look at with with white gloves on um, so I was just totally gripped um, by the history books that I was reading and uh, realized that nobody had really written a history book um, a, a book on the the history of childbirth in 50 years and the last person to do so had been a British obstetrician um, and when I read that book I realized that he was completely off the mark in so many ways um, and, and biased about many things so the the headline for the book is that childbirth is really a reflection of the the you know the era and the uh, culture and place in which it happens um, you know every culture has in every time has its own um, way of giving birth and yet it's the same ancient physiological process uh you know so it, it just didn't really make sense to me really the book helps to put into context modern childbirth um you know if you we can really understand and see with a broad lens how other cultures have given birth throughout time you can make a judgment about how we give birth today and maybe how we should give birth tomorrow um and it's really the book that I wish I had read before I had kids myself. So um, it uh, sort of became um, an element in the film, uh, The Business of Being Born, that was a very popular documentary that Ricky Lake did. Um, yeah. Yeah, that premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival and so forth. And so I was in that film um, as a result of the book as well. So I think that the book has had... Um, you know, it has helped to change the dialogue about childbirth in, in recent years. You know, the C-section rate in America and around the world is skyrocketing. Um, certainly not because, um, you know, uh, mothers are suddenly incapable of giving birth, but there are other factors at play. Um, uh, you know, and I think uh, women are starting to rebel against that, and um, doctors are starting to realize that uh, we've um, sort of... Um, pass through a barrier of, uh, of safety now and, and childbirth is actually becoming more dangerous again um, because there are so many interventions and um, you know there, that childbirth is looked as, at such a looked at as a medical event as opposed to an ancient physiological process um, yeah so um, so I, I really enjoyed that book a lot um, that was really um, fascinating to write that was it. That, it is very fascinating because you know it's so funny because you do have a lot of you do have uh, we only have a couple of few minutes like three minutes before we uh, sign off the show but you know you definitely have those camps but you know you have the pro all natural and then you have the pro drugs I, I I hate to tell you but if I ever have if I if I ever get pregnant I would like to have an epidural from the time of conception because I want to feel no pain but that's just my personal choice sure I want to. I don't want to feel any pain. I feel like if I was supposed to be born in the 1600s when they didn't have that kind of, you know, medical intervention, then I should have been born then. But I was born now, and they have drugs, and they're good. You don't have to feel pain. 
that's just my choice. But everybody has a choice. But it is, I think it's really interesting for you to be able to point that out and how, you know, cultures and, and different, you know, obviously it's different everywhere and everybody has a different experience. And, you know, there's so many different camps that say you have to do this. I know you can't do this. And you should have a water birth, you know, a water birth. The light should be off. There should be no music. No one should speak. You know, it's just like... Absolutely. And, and, and yet, you know, it's, it's the same thing over and over again. And, um, you know, so what I was trying to understand is why, like, why do we say, you know, all of a sudden you have all these choices about how you can do it and so forth, but ultimately it's still the same process. Like you just have to get the baby out. So we're, we just, um, put our own cultural overlay on childbirth. You know, like I said, it's a reflection of the culture. Um, our culture is very much about technology, um, right now. And, that's obviously reflected in, in childbirth. Um, in the Netherlands, where women are perceived as um, really the heart of the home and they're incredibly strong and really viewed um, as equal to men in, in many ways, um, women uh, choose to give birth at home um, because it's a symbol of their power. Um, and that's something that's very distinct to Dutch culture. Um, so, you know, Japanese, meanwhile, you walk into a Japanese maternity ward and it's silent. It's sort of the samurai culture. Um, so That's great. I, you know, and I, I'm sure for those people who are Togi listeners, we have several different shows on this net, uh, on the, we have two networks. We have the Rockstar Radio Network and the Togi Network. We have many mom shows. And um, I, I think that uh, you would be great to go on some of their shows. I, I guarantee you they would love to talk to you about that because, you know, that's their whole thing is about children and pregnancy and having kids and raising kids. So I think that they would really um, enjoy talking with you about that. And I just think it's fascinating. So I'm going to have to get that book, too, you know, <laughs> give it to uh, tell all my friends that are having a um, – have a baby but um, I just want to thank you so much for coming on it's so great to uh, be able to give some uh, you know reverence to one of my hometown girls who have penned two great books and it was so great to talk to you and uh, when you decide to write that third one please let me know because we'll have you on again (laughs) and uh, so everybody go out and buy her book and uh, if you want to get in touch with her she is at tinacassidy at gmail.com is that correct uh, Tina Cassidy one at gmail.com or you can okay. just go to Tina Cassidy.net and um, we can connect on Facebook or through other ways there as well. Okay, great. All right. So that is the end of the show. Thank you everybody so much for joining the Love La Vida show. We will see you next week with another great guest. And, uh, I have lots of good things coming in the next couple of weeks. We have some really great guests, so come on back and uh, tune on in. And again, thanks to Tina and thanks to my producer, Anna. Night, night. Thank you oh, so God. much. You're welcome. Time to Say goodbye. Thank you for being.